This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. So whether you want to catch the game live or watch the latest blockbuster, they've got you covered. And there's no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. Hi, I'm Polly Campbell, and this is Simply Set. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Polly Campbell's Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. But you know, many of us don't feel like that all the time, and that's okay too, because I think part of living a meaningful life, part of living a healthy and happy life, is to recognize where we are. And sometimes where we are mentally, emotionally, physically, is in a tough spot, a place of difficulty. We're dealing with physical illness or mental illness. More than 50% of us are experiencing what psychologists are now calling reentry anxiety as we head back into the world after a year of lockdowns. As many as 40 million of us are living with some form of anxiety even before that pandemic. And more than 300 million people worldwide are living with depression. Mental health issues are real. It doesn't mean you can't live a healthy life. It doesn't mean you can't live a happy one. But it means we have to talk about these issues and work together, offer compassion and treatment and support for one another. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I've been through this with me and my family, the ups and downs, depression and anxiety, and emotional well-being is possible. But we need to help each other develop the practices, meet the professionals, work with the therapists and doctors, and even tap into the healing energy of our pets to feel better in our lives. And we can do it, right? This is doable stuff. So today, we're going to talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy, even when we feel like we're starting from a place of depression or anxiety. And I'm just the person I am thrilled to have Nita Sweeney here today. She's the author of Depression Hates a Moving Target. And whether you're feeling depressed or whether you like running, because this is a book that, that deals with her running, go out and get this book. It's a beautiful book and it will illuminate all kinds of things. And plus, it's a great read. Nita Sweeney is an award-winning author of running and mental of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates Moving Target, how running with my dog brought me back from the brink. She's the co-creator with Brenda Knight of the writing journal, You Should Be Writing, a journal of inspiration and instruction to keep your pen moving, which you know me, I've talked about it before, how important writing is to our health and to the way we engage in the world. I write about it in my book, You Recharge. And Nita founded the group Mind, Mood, and Movement to support mental well-being through meditation, exercise, and writing practice. And we are going to talk about it all right here on Polly Campbell Simply Said. Nita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Polly. I'm really excited to be here. These are, you're just talking about my favorite, favorite topics here. So thank you. Well, mine too. And I think we could go on for hours uh, because there's so much to this. And 
I want to start where you started. I mean, when you write about depression, you're writing not only from the research end and the treatment end, but you've been through this yourself. You know what it's like to be suicidal, to be depressed. Yeah, that's been a lot of my life. I um, I probably really first noticed it when I was in college that I had these bouts of sadness and numbness, really, not even sadness, that other people didn't seem to have. And I was able to muster through um, and also law school. I made it through law school, passed the bar, um, you know, joined a law firm, eventually was a partner in a law firm. But all the while, there was that uh, black dog, shall we say, that dark cloud. And eventually it came to a head in the mid-1990s. And I chose, was forced to leave the practice of law um, because I, I hadn't gotten treatment. I, I didn't know that there was really treatment. And I wound up in a psych hospital for a while and uh, eventually got some treatment. And then over the years, I, I also discovered I was bipolar, which um, that took a while to, to diagnose. And so I have been living with it for many, many years. And I, you know, I feel like I have a good life regardless, but it's, it's sort of always there. And, um, um, when my first book came out, which you mentioned, Depression States and Moving Target, I had thought of myself as a writer because after I stopped practicing law, that became my profession, what I did. Um, but the book has really launched me into the world as a mental health advocate and that is the perfect fit. It really is. That's that's a passion um, that I have is to to make people aware that it's okay to talk about this, that we need to talk about this. So your intro just sort of lit me up. Um, that's uh, just really, really great. So thank you. Well, I, I think it's so important. I'm wondering when you experienced this, this black dog, I think you called it, or this darkness early on, did you know you were depressed or was this just something you thought everybody went through? No, I thought, I didn't think everybody else went through it. I thought there was something wrong with me as in I was doing something wrong. I wasn't a good enough person. I was lazy. Um, I didn't, I wasn't motivated enough. I needed more inspiration. And I went into kind of the whole category of self-help books, doing research that way, trying to change my thinking, become more positive, become more assertive, face my fears. And what I have realized now is all of those tools are really, really good if you don't have mental illness. But what happens with many of those tools, those offerings, is when a person like me, who actually has a diagnosable mental illness, tries to do that and fails, they just feel worse. And that was kind of the, the drain, you know, the sink drain that I, kind of, I spiraled down, especially at the end of the practice of law. I was trying all of these manifestation and, you know... Um, positive affirmations. And I mean, I was trying all of those kinds of things to change my thinking when in fact it was a biochemical situation that I, I needed help. I needed outside help. I needed uh, mental health help. And eventually I got it and it was, uh, it wasn't magic, but I realized 
why the things that I had tried didn't work for me. Right. I, th- I think that's such an important point. And, and, you know, I, I do those things too. I really believe in positive mindset and, and, you know, these life strategies that I use. And I also see a therapist and I also exercise my body and I do it. It's one, it's not one size fits all. And if you're doing something that is not helping you to feel healthier, see a doctor, right? See a therapist, look for other options. It's not you that's failing. It's you just haven't found the right fit for the treatment that, that you need to, to be well. Um, and I think it's okay also to, like you were saying, I mean, it's, it's not your fault if you don't feel good. What, you know, I had a cancer experience a number of years ago and I did all the positive self-help stuff. And I also took medicine and had surgery and did these things. And that's okay. The tools are there to help you. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Because if you're reading, you know, one of these books, even one of my books, and there are other things in play, those tools won't support you yet. You, you might be at a different place along your journey and that's okay. When you, when did you get help? You talk about in your book, you talk about therapy and medication and, and then it, it moves you into running. But at what point did you start to recognize, okay, I need medical care. I need, uh, you know, therapy, the support, the biochemical balance in my body before I can work on this other stuff. It was at the very end of when I was practicing law. So it would have been 1994. I, I was in the conference room with um, several other lawyers, uh, one of the main partners, and we were sitting there and I could not focus. I could not pay attention. Um, it was like the parents in peanuts, wah, 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 <laughs> is what I was hearing. Okay. And I looked out the window of the conference room and there was this empty field where they hadn't built a building yet in this new corporate development. And a man had pulled up in the parking lot and got out of his car. And this was maybe two o'clock in the afternoon or it might've been 10 in the morning, but it was a weekday during work hours. And he was like, um, you know, not an older, not like retired guy. He was maybe in his thirties. I think he got out, got in his trunk, pulled out a box kite and walked into the field and started flying it. And I almost burst into tears Uh. and something inside me said, if you don't do something, you are going to die. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that there was something wrong that wasn't me doing anything wrong. And so I went back to my office and I called my insurance company and I said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know how this goes. And she goes, oh my goodness, we have a mental health, you know, da, da, da. and she uh, hooked me up. And so I started seeing a therapist right then. And uh, it was probably another um, three or four months before I ended up going on a medication. And the medication is what uh, really helped. I mean, the therapy has been fantastic. I still see a therapist, but as far as digging me out of that really deep hole, it took the medication. And then I um, took what I thought was going to be a leave of absence, but the prospect of having to go back combined with the fact that the medication didn't act really quickly, I became suicidal and was hospitalized for um, coming really, really close to taking my life. 
And that was the transformation. I never did go back to the practice of law. Um, uh, I had a therapist once say that me practicing law was the worst case of poor job fit she'd seen in 20 years of counseling practice. Basically, I just had done what people had told me to do because I was smart. I could write. I could do research. You know, they thought, oh, this will be a great fit. And and the idea of being a lawyer seemed very shining and sparkly. And I liked that, you know, and I, I did. I was good. I, I, I think I was a good lawyer, but um, I didn't get help soon enough. And by then I had just gone so far down the you know, the rabbit hole there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, and so I've had help on and off for years. Um, the other key for me was that I was not diagnosed until as bipolar until sometime in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And so I would present as depressed. And when I was hypomanic, a lot of times, I would actually seem almost normal, um, much more energetic, able to do things, finish things, get things done, focus. And, but that flipped into full-blown mania at one point. And that's when they realized, oh, wait a minute, she, she needs a mood stabilizer. And that changed a lot too. So they completely changed the way they approached my medication. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that was help was the running. That was, the, that was the thing that just nobody saw coming, especially me. Well, I want to talk about that next. And I mean, you're in, you're in the middle of all of this and a friend mentions this idea and and you were not an exerciser at the time. I mean, were you depressed at the time when this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. I was severely depressed. And also um, in 2007, which was a couple years before I started running or before I saw the friends post, we'd had seven loved ones and a cat die um, all in the same year. And two of those people were my 24 year old niece and my mother. And it was actually my 24-year-old niece's cat that died. Mm. And in 2000, I don't even remember 2008 hardly at all. Mm -hmm. And so I got through it. We did all the things. And then 2009, I was in this place of what, I, I just didn't even know what to do. I'd also been trying to pitch a different book and wasn't having much success with that. So that was heartbreaking again and again, as you know, anybody who's gone through that process of trying to get a book published traditionally, it's, it can be, it's can be rough. And um, so I was sitting on my sofa one day and I looked at Facebook and this high school friend said, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I thought she needs help. She's gone, <laughs> she's gone off the edge. And, but I watched and I didn't say anything to her. I maybe gave her a, at a girl, whatever. And uh, sure enough, she just kept going. And so I didn't go right away to the website that she, because she mentioned a training plan. But one day when the winter, I live in central Ohio, the winters can be really brutal and cold and it started turning to spring. So through the snow pops up these crocuses, these little tiny purple flowers. Uh, the snow bells are little white flowers various little things that just showed that spring was coming. And it had, her post had planted this seed in the back of my mind and that seed just grew. And so I went to the website and gratefully, thank you. I don't know who created this, but thank goodness it said 60 seconds of jogging. It didn't say 60 seconds of running or exercise for 20 minutes, which is what eventually you do. It said 60 seconds of jogging. That's what I saw. And I thought, well, I 
think I can jog for 60 seconds. And uh, so I took the dog for a decoy and emo uh, emotional support so that people would think I was just exercising my dog down into this hidden ravine area of our neighborhood where the houses are way up these long lots and people really can't see you too much down in, in the, you know, the street that's longer. And I set my digital timer, my little kitchen digital timer for 60 seconds and we jogged the dog and I, and, uh, uh, it, I, you know, that moment, it was a huge victory for a very depressed, very grief stricken, overweight, 49-ish woman, um, uh, you know, it really, it really shifted things because it felt like I was taking this huge step forward. I love that part in the book. At the end of that, I think it's the end of your first run when you talk about how you felt so proud of yourself on the way back and, and how that was just, we talk a lot on the show about small wins and there's a lot of research behind that. If, if we can carve out our own small win, that one minute, that one little progress that it can actually uplift us and change the chemistry in our bodies to feel good into the next little part and help get us through. And, and you write about that beautifully. The other thing I want to talk about that I could so relate to not the running, I'm not a runner, but but you're you were a private runner for a long time. Like you went to places where nobody could see you while you were working on your 60 seconds, right? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I I was so I, part of it was paranoia. Okay, I do have a little paranoid streak. And but I was so afraid that my neighbors who were not at home on a weekday <laughs> anyway, but that they would see me and laugh. And I, you know, I, just, I had this image of what a runner is and what a runner should be and who I should be. All these um, culturally created stereotypes. And so, yeah. And then, then the other thing that happened eventually, which you've read the book, so you know, my sister, who is the mother of my niece that died, and that was her only child. After I made the mistake, and I joke about that, of telling her I had started jogging, she emailed me to say that there was a 5K fundraiser for research for the type of cancer that my niece had died from. And my response to her was, I mean, it was, I, I think of it as kind of selfish, but it was self-protective. I mean, that's how I got the, the the phrase. I'm a private runner. I emailed her back. I'm like, Amy, no, I'm I'm a private runner. I, I do I just you know, I do this by myself. I can't. I'm not I'm not running in public. There's no way. And so she let it go for a while, and then a couple of weeks later, she said, "Well, maybe we could just walk it together." And I, it 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 was just this place I had to kind of get over my anxiety about what people thought and realize, for God's sakes, Nita, Jamie died. She went through 500 days of you know treatment and. And it was horrible. And I think you could probably deal with a few people looking at you while you're trying to jog down the street. Mm -hmm. It was, I had to get, but that's what, that's also what mental health issues mm -hmm. sometimes do is they uh, distort your perceptions and priorities, things that are important. And so I did that. And that was another, uh, it felt like a huge win, but it seemed like it's just a small step, just registering for the race. Yeah. Um, just, you know, that particular act saying yes to my sister. I, because I hadn't done anything like that. I had been so, um, I, you know, I, I mean, I did things, but I hadn't done anything that public with 
exercise and like that for a very long time. And so that was a, that was another shift of saying, okay, I'm going to take a risk here. And every time I would take that next step, just like you said, um, I would get the happy brain chemicals and I would want to do more. And, and that's, that's how the progress happened. I, I love that. And I want to make that the simply start today. Each week we have a segment which gives people a way into what we're talking about, a way to, to implement some of these practices. Pick your 60 seconds physical exercise. And incidentally, I, I got into my workout routine the same way, 60 seconds at a time. I live with chronic illness and and that was what I could do at the time. And and it's been years now and I go much longer than that. But pick your 60 seconds. If you want to play an instrument, but you're embarrassed and afraid to start Pick it up for 60 seconds and teach yourself some some new note or something new today or go for a walk for 60 seconds or go for a jog. Whatever it is you want to do that you've been thinking about, anything you've been wondering about, I wonder if, go out for 60 seconds and then take your 60 seconds the next day and see what happens. These small wins, these little baby steps are the shift that help us move into the direction of life we want to go and get healthier and feel better. And it's not the only thing we need to do, but it's enough to get started in a new direction like Nita's talking about. I just read that you, Nita, did an ultra race. Yes, um, I did the Eagle Up 50K, which is 31 point something, something, something miles. And it was it was really hard and it was really amazing. I, I like to say if you hang around at a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. So I hang around with people who have ridiculously audacious goals and then I watch them. I, I'm kind of quiet sometimes. I watch them succeed and try and fail sometimes, um, but eventually succeed. And so I've been hanging around with these people who do this race. They've done it all oh, three or four years in a row now. Um, it was canceled for 2020. And... I showed up, I did what they suggested, and now I can call myself an ultra marathoner, which seems, that just seems incredible. Yeah, to to even say I was a marathoner was, I've done three full marathons and a whole bunch of uh, half marathons. And uh, to even say I was a marathoner was, felt amazing, but now I'm an ultra marathoner. Fantastic. How do you link your mental health to the running? Well, there's a ton of different reasons. And I, I think at first I just thought it was the neurotransmitters. The we, we talk about endorphins, but it's actually endocannabinoids. So it's they talk about the runner's high. It's actually the same stuff that's in medical marijuana um, that is being um, released into your system when you exercise. At, if you can raise your heart rate just even a little bit, you'll get that benefit. So, the, so there's the physical biochemical exercise component. But there's also, um, you know, I printed off that training plan that my friend had used. And so every time I would come back from whatever the workout was and had done the workout, so actually doing the workout, there was that mental, oh, I did the thing kind of click. And then I would go in and I tape that um, to the end of my bookcase and I would check that off. That's a dopamine hit. That's a little neurotransmitter boost right there. I also eventually, first I joined an online group because I was a private runner. And so some fellowship in that online group. So sense of community. um, I started to learn the language of running. So that felt like another little accomplishment. Oh, yeah, I know what a fartlek is. It's actually just a workout where you um, 
change your pace according to it's called speed play. It's a switch word for speed play. Uh, so that sense of accomplishment from that. I eventually joined an in-person running group. So the sense of community grew. And then with those groups, there's a sense of accountability. Oh, you're trying what what race are you training for? How's it going? Things like that. So there's so many different pieces that come together. And that can happen with any movement form. It doesn't have to be running. Mine just happens to be running. And, uh, uh, you know, and especially long distances for me, partly because I'm slow, but I so I can do better at a longer distance than I can. Like I'm not a sprinter. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, that's what it, it, it just all those pieces kind of came together, that sense of community, the physical neurotransmitter kind of things, the structure of a training plan, which I then could have a sense of accomplishment by checking off those things that I'd done, feeling, you know, having the goal and then checking it off the progress toward the goal. All of those, it, it felt like it was, those were the, the really missing pieces. I'd had that a little bit with writing, but because I'd had so much struggle getting published, it just didn't feel like I was getting the same benefit. Whereas running, you know, nobody cares if I run badly. Nobody's, nobody's actually watching. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it's a, it's it's something I could allow myself to do. Uh, it, I mean, I, I hate to say badly, but but not to be so hyped up about doing it well because I'm one of those gold star, straight A, you know, top of the class kind of people that needed that sense of accomplishment. And so I, I mean, I still like earning medals and and all that kind of stuff, but it was a, a safer way to succeed without having as much risk of failure, I guess. I could yeah, say. I think the risk of failure and I think the perceived expectations that others have for us can keep us trapped in the, in the cycle of not feeling healthy in our life and, and having greater anxiety and depression and physical uh, stress that leads to pain. I have a lot of chronic pain and when I'm stressed out or not meeting expectations of others that I think need to happen, I, I hurt more. I think all that is important. You know, what we know is that to live an engaged life, and I write about this in my newest book, You Recharged, which you can get anywhere. Check it out or go to my website if you're interested, polycampbell.com. But what we know is that all of this stuff, the momentum and progress, the physical movement, the uh, mental support, the connection and community of others, all of these things make for a better life no matter where you're at in your life right? They, they are part of creating a meaningful experience and that creates more satisfaction and joy in our lives. According to research, it's not just me saying it, but you'll feel the difference like Nita, like I have. And I think it's interesting to think about what you might want to pull into your life where it's okay to experiment and explore and grow and do badly. And Use that for your 60 seconds today. See how that feels and then pick up another 60 tomorrow and see how that goes. And I think this is simply nifty. That brings us to the segment where I talk about a favorite thing. And you know where this is going today because I love books. I love talking about mental health. And Nita, Nita's book, Depression Hates a Moving Target, is, I told her before the show, it's stunning. It's a memoir. You're going to get a lot of her personal experience. And I bet no matter what, phase of life you're in, no matter what you're experiencing, you're going to relate because we all have ups and downs. We all know people who have been dealing with mental illness and mental health issues. We all have those things where we feel like we're not measuring up 
Depression hates a moving target by Nita Sweeney. Pick it up. It's simply nifty. Nita, I want to, we're wrapping it up here, but you at the top of the show said you were kind of falling into this role as a mental health advocate. And I wondered, um, it's taken our culture and all of us so long to start talking about these issues and so long for other women like you uh, to step up and say, no, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm bipolar, and I'm treating this, and I'm working on this. How do you think we are with that now? Is it a safer spot to talk about? Is it, are things changing with that? And, and where are you at in your own journey with all that? I do see a shift. I think there's a lot of work to be done on it. Um, long way to go still, but I really do see a shift, especially during the pandemic when people were face-to-face -face with trying to work at home while schooling their kids, while not some people not sure they had a job or losing their jobs. Or, I mean, just so many things came together that people who might not ordinarily have any kind of mental health issues were triggered into that. I mean, it just created that environment. It was a kind of perfect storm. And so I think it also created a bit of an openness in people being willing to hear it and to say, oh, wait, that's what they're talking about. People who had never experienced it. Now, those people may go back to their, quote, normal lives at some point when uh, things transition into that and not have that. But I think once you've had that experience, you can't not remember it. You can't just forget it. Um, that, I think that would be really hard. And so I, I really think that there's has been an opportunity in the horror of the pandemic uh, for awareness. And I, there's a lot of groups that are doing amazing things. I'm involved with a, a group called Still I Run, Runners for Mental Health Awareness. But there's groups like that sort of sprouting up all over the place. And just that person-to-person -person contact of, oh, I've experienced this, or, oh, I know a person who's experienced that, that kind of grassroots uh, awareness, I believe it's making a change. I have so many people very quietly come up to me and say, people who I would never have known had any kind of anxiety or depression or um, obsessive thinking, any of those kinds of things, and just very quietly say to me, wow, I really could relate. I really could relate. And so I think that that just sort of one-to-one -one openness is continuing to roll forward. And, and sadly, because of the pandemic, we have so many more people who have experienced those kinds of things. Now, they may be situational and they may pass, but even a situational understanding helps it will transfer into um, a more universal understanding. Absolutely. And I think it was so difficult for people at various stages of this pandemic that uh, I know several who use that as a time to learn more and get help for themselves and discovered all kinds of things. Nita, if, if people want to learn more about your work, get the book, where can we find you? My website, nitasweeney.com, is the best place to find out more about me. I'm on all the social media channels. You can check out that. But head to my website. The social media channels are there. And there's also a free ebook download there if people are interested. It's a book called Three Ways to Heal Your Mind. It's kind of a body, mind, spirit uh, approach to wellness. So. 
Right. And you can find me at polycampbell.com. I'm on Facebook at Polly Campbell author. If you want to be a part of that community, check out depression hates a moving target and Nita's work. And remember this week, today, tomorrow, one day at a time, take your 60 seconds to explore something you're curious about, something you've been wondering about, something you'd like to bring into your life. 60 seconds. You can even be a private jogger, right? You can. <laughs> I, I have played the red ukulele by myself for 60 seconds at a time. So listen, we can do this privately. But find your way through to the things that might ignite your spirit and help us all to live well and healthier lives. We can do this and we can do this together. Depression is not a feeling, not a feeling. It's not something you're doing wrong. And there are many ways through it. So check out the resources available to you. Talk to your doctor and uh, take 60 seconds to elevate your life today and see how that feels. I think when we start engaging with our lives in new ways, that will help us all live well, do good and be happy. Tricast.